Good fun up. It's Friday, and we're back in the hour of the wolf. Today we have an episode with not one people joining us for a conversation, but two. It's Tyke Stopford and Courtney Letica from the Hemp Foundation and Medleaf. So they were both based in Auckland, and while I was up there, we had the ch- uh, the opportunity to meet each other and, and have a really good chat. And it hadn't been published till today because I got a life, I got other stuff to do, and I got other things happening to me. Uh, I was mentioning some of those things in a previous episode that I was going to upload, and it was recorded in Auckland as well. But what happened there was the person I interviewed requested that I did not uh, make it public because it could put her in a, a situation that she wasn't comfortable with. So we let that sit there until we can work it out. And in the meantime, I was looking for other options and overthinking and got kind of caught up on that and didn't publish this one, even though it was completely good and ready to go. So that's that. Um, also, also, there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on in Colombia. A lot of crazy stuff going on back home. Not a happy experience that I would, it would be, you know, cheerful to, ch- to share on this space. So I'm gonna make another episode on that and it's gonna be a bit gloom and doom. But yeah, whoever's interested on, on that story can, can hear it and I'll share it with all with all my heart. But today we have a very, very good and open conversation with two very interesting people. And they're awesome. And they joined me for the podcast and we were in one of their homes and we had a great time so i hope you you know you're glad to be back on the podcast and listening to us because this one's a doozy we're here today in the hour of the wolf with tyke stopford and corny letica yes. yes. all right nailed it um, well, in good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nailing the names is important. Part and time. Of the show. I was pleased with that. That was great. <laughs> Looking at a beautiful view out of these uh, lovely backyard and enjoying each other's presence and company. And of course, we're here today to talk about hemp, cannabis, entrepreneurship, and policy and education. Ooh, that's a lot of topics. So I guess we better get started. I'm going to start with Ty because I haven't had as much time to talk to him and I want to interrupt what he's doing. <laughs> so Ty, um, a question I was asking to you before is like, what brought you to do what you're doing today right here, right now? Because you've done stuff. I can see that. Yeah. Um, um, in some ways, I feel like I haven't started. You know, there's so much to do in this field and, and, and it's so hard to do stuff without resource. Um, uh, social justice, really. Um, my family are medical. My father died of medical misadventure. My mum's got MS. My stepfather's got cancer. My stepbrother's paranoid schizophrenic. Um, you know, the prohibition of cannabis was done unjustly and uh, foolishly. 
and has cost us as a species significantly. Um, so when Helen Kelly stood up and started uh, flying the flag for medical cannabis that you know, relit sort of the, the, the fire for reform that I've had as a teenager, and then when Peter Dunn started blaming doctors for not prescribing cannabis-based medicines, um, that absolutely showed me what to do, you know, to help bridge the knowledge gap because doctors didn't understand the medicine, didn't understand the plant, and they don't learn nutrition in medical school. So they're really completely unprepared for this whole new field. And so my in-laws are doctors, so I asked them how best to teach doctors, and they suggested medical conferences. So I started targeting medical conferences and um, built a, quite a large stand. It's three times the size of the Ministry of Health stand. And um, I've been to four or five medical conferences now. Um, and yeah, wrote New Zealand's first course in hemp medicine that was recognized by the College of GPs. And just trying to get people to understand the plant better. So why hemp? And like, what, why specifically hemp? Because hemp is the mother plant. You know, hemp is the food, the fiber, the medicine. Okay. Okay. So the way that Chinese used to treat it, like the, the way that traditional communities that were built around cannabis saw it as the plant that provided, right? Yeah, yeah. So what does a society need to be healthy and wealthy? It needs food, it needs fiber, it needs medicine. Oh, and if you can grow all of these things from one place instead of importing them for billions and billions and billions of dollars from overseas, and all of those funds, all of that money, all of that financial life force flowing from our whenua to other parts of the world, that makes us weaker. And the things that we're replacing them with, you know, synthetic medicines, synthetic textiles, uh, petrochemicals, we all know what path that's put us on as a species. So it's time to move to a sustainable pathway. And if we're going to be sustainable in our economy, in our health system, hemp has a place in that. Big one. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, well, you and I see the plant as like, in a very similar sense. Um, and I guess we, we share a similar kind of set of motivations. Uh, what brought me to first even consider doing this was going into uh, New Zealand media and finding all of this supposedly educating articles that were completely misinforming the public. So and and you know putting fear in everybody's hearts and minds and being alarmists and just shedding a lot of shadow on something that should be shed light on. You know, um, and I thought, well. Because you're a teacher, so that brought you to teach people. I'm just a, not a bullshitter, but like my main tool in life is my voice, and I I'm a good writer and everything. But in the end, what what makes me connect to people is talking. So I I got fed up. I, I don't remember which one was the last article that just sparked my my rage and and I, I thought I need to do something about this so I started writing this series of articles and never published them and then uh, Manu came along and he said he let me interview him so podcast and uh, and I admire Joe Rogan so I thought mm -hmm. that's the way I want to do it and 
and we all have to find we all have to do what we can with what we've got absolutely. you know and the, yeah so i guess bringing hemp into the things that we have got to do what we have to do would be a great thing it would it would it would what would you say about that Courtney? throwing me in it there um <clears throat> i agree with ty's standpoint on hemp and in fact I'll, I'll probably take it back to a little more technical level than that where ever since the 1937 marijuana taxation act we have taken hemp and simple dietary cannabinoids out of our food chain since that point in time since then there's been an increase in autoimmune diseases for example such as multiple sclerosis autism parkinson's disease um, and what we've gently done i believe is remove cannabinoids from our livestock in which we in turn eat and then we ourselves supplement our largest receptor system and i genuinely believe that by doing that we've made quite a large mistake health wise in, in, um, in our practices and, and i do believe in terms of what tiger says it is the mother plant and we do need to bring it back to that yeah it grows everywhere man like this if it grows in the himalayas George and it grows in colombia grows on. Yeah. well um it's a remarkable plant it is i there's a lot of people that associate it with plants mentioned in the in the prophecies in the bible and everything i i think that's a bit of a stretch because i've read those books and i shall give unto you a plant of great renown so it shall feel no hunger nor you shall what shall not fear shall fear no hunger nor feel the shame of the heathen <laughs> but well you you shouldn't if you if you had a you know backyard full of hemp that's true so so what brought you into this scene Courtney so so tell us that you're from Metleaf yes so Metleaf Therapeutics so what brought us here so what happened well, this was is your house for starters well first yes this is how what in terms of in terms of cannabis I mean apart from the occasional devil at a party or whatnot at a younger age um which dare I say it's all right Paula Bennett's been there so why can't I mm -hmm. um she holds a more astute position than I do currently so I think she's got more to lose um my uncle got diagnosed with cancer in 2016 i was august 2016. i remember being in the room with the um sort of the intensive care ward um he just suffered some sort of heart palpitation or similar so he's in there for checks we put up a stroke or a heart attack or something anyway everything checked out on the ecg but they said they had noticed some anomalies in his liver um several of them in fact but that wasn't the bad news the bad news is it was coming from somewhere and that wasn't it so basically the next day we went back there they said okay that's he's full of tumors in his liver um, but that is secondary as we thought um, and and there is a primary cancer and that is his pancreas and obviously the pancreas is so close to arteries etc so basically he was just pumping cancer through his body um the liver was pretty infected with it of course um it probably looked like the feel of a driving range i imagine um but the point being is they weren't able to give chemotherapy for three months now chemo obviously comes with its own risks it's, it's, a, it's a careful balance as to how much they can give you before it starts to harm you it has no prejudice in terms of the cells that it approaches or attacks um so basically i just started researching what can we do from a natural perspective within our family's capability to help our, our, my uncle i kept coming across cannabis every time i searched on youtube or this about stopping cancer or what can you do how can you help it how can you help symptoms how can you alleviate symptoms it kept coming back to cancer but one of the things that jumped out at me after a bit of research was this 
receptor system that the human bodies have called the um, endogenous cannabinoid system. And the 18-year-old biologist in me from Form 6 was truly intrigued. Um, I felt like in some ways we'd been duped or we'd not been told, and, and this was some seriously important information. Anyway, the point being there was some serious and sincere links to cancer and how it could be of sincere help in, in multiple ways. There were certainly some anecdotal videos and cases where people had cured their cancer. I certainly am not in a position to be able to say that that's what it's capable of or can do, but the point being, for these people it worked, and I thought that was good enough for us to try. Um, so basically, we acquired, when I say we, I will blame him, he acquired cannabis uh, from the black market uh, to, to self-medicate. Um, we actually got him to stop working completely. Uh, we, we were trying to fund his, his living situation and everything, just so he could actually run about a six-month course of medical cannabis. Um, anyway, long story short, within the third month of, of him having or being diagnosed with this, he went back for another scan prior to his treatment started because they wanted to take a base point, of course. They came back to us and the results came back and the doctor sitting in the room, he called Green Lane, said, oh, we just got the results back. Um, are you sure about that? Are you sure? Yes, the lady on the other end of the line replied. Anyway, so what appeared is, is that the tumours had actually shrunk already. Um, they weren't aware as to how or why it was a very aggressive type of cancer. We were all very excited. I remember us going to a bar afterwards and having a drink and celebration and, you know, it was our little secret. So anyway, Greg starts chemotherapy. Because it was such an aggressive type of cancer, it was aggressive chemotherapy. the aggressive chemotherapy, but the more aggressive the cancer, supposedly, the more it will respond to chemotherapy, at least initially. Um, so it did It did actually have a, have a good, uh, a good, what would you say, um, it had a good reflection on, on him as a person, he, and he actually, he actually benefited from it. Um, so it, it did reduce his symptoms, it did shrink the tumours for a period of time, but anyway, the problem was is that he was a very good man, he was a very honest man, loved work. He wasn't able to work, he was feeling better after this initial couple of rounds of chemotherapy. He himself was quite a straight person, not a huge believer in what I was talking to him about, about cannabis. He said, well, hold on a second, this is the chemo that's doing this, it's not the cannabis, um, and I can't work if I'm high. It's totally understandable, it's his life, it's his choice. We tried to advise him against it, um, but that wasn't going to be taken to hold off. So, anyway, point being, what, what really transformed it and this is what we move on to is I had a raft of oil sitting at, sitting at his house uh, Rick Simpson oil to be precise which is very high in, in THC and we, we presume it is so um, anyway so basically there was a bunch at his home because obviously he had been using it and he didn't want to use it anymore I had read a whole raft of studies on rheumatoid arthritis and the repairing or potentially halting of the disease progression in rheumatoid arthritis patients in certain studies um, so basically I said well if you're not going to use this, why don't you let your father use it or my granddad? And so basically he passed it on to my granddad. My granddad was on strong doses of methotrexate or um, chemo drugs, um, which, are, which are not terribly great for you. You have to have blood tests every three months um, just to make sure they're not doing any harm to you. So anyway, he started taking this. He was, what would he have been? Would have been 85 years of age. Um, we had never seen him after two days more mobile in the last decade than we have before. He was pain-free. His swelling had gone down just based off this oil. The one side effect, of course, is that it did make him terribly high. We just kept saying, take it before you go to bed, but he wouldn't listen to us. Um, <laughs> so he was enjoying it. So he went, well, I can only assume he may be a point of that as well. Or his wife carrying him to bed like when he was younger. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, so that, that was the big one. That was the huge one. In fact, my father, who was always very opposed to drugs in, in any form, 
um, alcohol included. My mum probably a bit more free spirited, but was open to the concept of anything that could help her family members. Mm. Um, they saw this this trump. They saw the, the Greek thing was a bit of a flip. We didn't know the the shrinking of the um, tumors and whatnot. But to see my granddad move like that and be pain free, we used to joke about chopping his limbs off. Joke, but seriously, joke. Like, is that an option? Because they were causing so much distress and pain. But to see that, my father and mother were just convinced that whatever I was doing, there was something good about it, despite the negative press surrounding cannabis and past and whatnot. And if used in a in a certain way, um, it, it can be beneficial. So basically, we obviously all had an issue as a family of, of, of my granddad accessing black market or using black market oil. Um, so basically, what happened, and I think Ty mentioned previously, Peter Dunn actually changed the law on the 7th of September 2017. I don't even know the drug for that necessarily, but the law changed in which doctors were then able to prescribe CBD-based medicines um, as long as they were 98% pure, containing no more than 2% total other cannabinoids, so we were restricted from full-spectrum products. Um, anyway, I, I made a phone call overseas um, to, a, to a company seeing if I could get some oil uh, for my granddad. I had no idea of the restrictions of importation. I had no idea of anything at the time. So I just went out looking and um, got a phone call back. And they said, oh, look, we only sell dry flour. We're based in Europe. There's a company in Canada that um, that deals in oil that we deal with. Um, maybe you'd like to talk to them. We'll just pass your details on. So I get a phone call from a gentleman called Chris from a company called Tweed, um, who just happened to be a subsidiary of another company called Canopy Growth, who I had no idea where at the time. Um, do you know? I do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and... We were starting to talk about New Zealand law legislation, how to change what was possible. Um, things basically this conversation just escalated over half an hour while I was standing at the BP in Bombay on the side of the motorway. Um, and anyway, I, I got a little bit excited. My friends and I always used to joke every so often about, you know, once upon a time having something to do with cannabis or a legitimate business. Um, so anyway, this this progressed and he was going to send over some oils. Basically this then grew on to me discovering that we couldn't have Anything more than two percent total other cannabinoids. The laws and restrictions around this this change in law around CBD was absolutely nonsensical. Um, it didn't really allow for much to happen. It was a controlled B1 drug, which means it was it was even rated more dangerous than street cannabis, just as CBD is an isolate. Mm. Um, so basically, this just sent me on a bit of a crusade. I got talking to a guy called Tyne Stockford. I got talking to a guy called Shane LeBron, who happens to be MCANs. Mm. Basically, I wanted to get legal access for my family and the fact that I couldn't was stupidly frustrating. Um, we even had arguments uh, when I tried to get my uncle legal CBD oil. Um, once this law changed, I actually tried to get my uncle with the cancer legal CBD oil. Now I had to go to a specialist or just as an oncologist at the time, um, had to go to a specialist for their approval then they had to write a form, go to the military for their approval just to get CBD oil. One oncologist denied it, basically laughed in his face and said, I just don't believe in it, so I won't do it. Even though he was palliative and this was palliative care. Um, the second oncologist came in and professed to know about cannabis, to which, after talking to me for 20 minutes, realised he didn't. Um, but then just said, there's multiple things that can kill cancer in a lab and in a petri dish. And I said, well, cannabis is one of them and it ain't going to kill him, so what's the problem? Um, I then escalated that to the ADHB. The ADHB then said to me that there was nothing in place, there were no protocols in place to prescribe or offer cannabis patients or people in palliative care cannabis. So there was a law change, but no... But no real change throughout the industry whatsoever. Um, no doctors were informed. Nobody was told. It was it was the best kept secret. 
In, for, in no agency, no education. No, no. And that's why we're trying to fill the gap, you know, as it slowly, hopefully, corrects. Is that the government's job? Or is yes. that, you know, well, I mean, we're for the benefit all... of the people. Yes. Mm. The um, of there's an absence of leadership. Yes. In the, in the, and the, um, framework that we operate upon today as the system, that is the government's job. The way I see it is if they're going to enable a framework to exist on a product that they have told us has been dangerous for so many years now, they have a duty within a health and safety aspect to either re-educate people on the facts or tell them about the harms that they believe exist. And that is the government's job. The problem is that the government and the Ministry of Health have sat on evidence for such a long time without progressing anything. The people that prohibited cannabis knew why they were doing it. So yes. they they knew the like because uh, there was a threat to multiple. Industries. It was in 1963 that THC was discovered as a molecule and its nature began to be studied, like at a scientific level. Like everybody knows that cannabis is good because they use it to build empire, including the USA, but the scientific, uh, you know, evidence behind it that THC was good for you and CBD was good for you has been growing and growing. The and growing. biggest drug company in the United States of America, Park Davis, in the 1920s, which is a subsidiary of Pfizer, um, was the first to scientifically standardize THC as a medicine in the 1920s, and they concluded that it was safe even in immense doses. They could not kill animals with it, and they tried. <laughs> they tried to kill animals with THC. <laughs> oh my god, guys, what, what were you thinking? Well, it was the 20s, so yeah. Um, let's hope our 20s are not like that. And so, yeah, so the, the fact, what, what my point is, is that you're expecting the government to do the job that they say that they're supposed to do, but you know, they, their job is a whole different thing. To a large extent. But people have died waiting for governments to do things they don't need to. Mm -hmm. um, thanks to you, your uncle did it. Yes. And thanks to you. Like, my point is, every everyone's uh, responsible for their own education or ignorance. Correct. And that's how you guys got motivated to do what you do. And the government should be doing it because that's supposedly their job. But like, we can't sit around. I, I believe, given, given the fact it's absolutely low risk of addiction or abuse or harm potential, comparatively even something like Panadol, which does kill over 100 people a year, and that's called England from my recent research. Wow. That's sold on supermarket shelves. Now, within reason, we have to offer humans an element of trust in terms of self-care. Um, cannabis, in reality, and I will say this with my hand on my heart, it should be a nutraceutical that is a first option prior to most synthetic single-molecule pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yeah. It should be a first. So a spiral, a spiral advocates for herbalists and, Absolutely. and natural Absolutely. should be yeah. the ones that... The doctors do not want to be the gatekeepers, and they have made that clear. They'd rather be the gatekeepers of opioids. So let that be, and let the naturalists and the herbalists who are okay with cannabis and do know it's, it's, it's low risk of harm, let them do it. That's their area of expertise, and they do mm. it pretty well. They do it brilliantly. In fairness, doctors are coming along. They so, are yeah. coming along. Fair call. And I, I can see that you have encountered a barrier of doctors, and well, then you have encountered a company or like the support of some, you know, like seventy percent kind of, of doctors. Both sides of the seventy percent of doctors are interested in this field, but they know almost nothing. I was speaking to an emergency ward physician last night who's only been retired for two years. Uh, I think he's based in Tokoroa or somewhere mm. similar. Anyway, his dream is to start up a cannabis facility. 
and cultivating produce product. So, I mean, there are there are open-minded positions out there or, or ones that are sort of researching that. Well, as we were discussing with Pearl, is um, you you can get both. You, there's you no can. like, and there's some people that will need like a pharmaceutical extract because mm -hmm. that's because they are intolerant to CBD because they have mm -hmm. liver damage, mm -hmm. and uh, they will be others than like would have enough with a joint. And I've been experiencing tinctures for the last few days, mm -hmm. and I thought I had enough with a joint, but tinctures are. The medicine they need. Like, yes. if mm -hmm. I want to let loose and, and relax, yeah, a joint will do it. Um, it will be actually less than a joint for me. Um, but stronger lasts longer than just it. Yeah, exactly. And it's an it's an uh, cumulative effect, right? Also, so the fact that delta nine THC turns to delta eleven THC when it comes into contact with the stomach, which is also a stronger version of it too. So. There's there's forms and shapes for everyone, and like I mean, there's so much expertise in the Western medicinal traditional system that we cannot ignore, especially dealing with trauma and like surgery and, and other internal stuff. And then there's so much knowledge in naturopaths and and, and uh, herbalists and traditional medicine and like Maori Rongwa and in all of the shapes of natural medicine that are there in different cultures and different spaces around the world that we don't have to exclude one. From the others, it's not ridiculous. It is. So next topic is, what did we say it would be? Um, how do you feel about the difference between recreational use and medicinal use? I will take the microphone. I'm not quite sure what that question I, means. I do. There is no difference. Um. There's a difference in terms of purpose of usage, but is medicinal. John Lord explained it perfectly in that Padigar documentary just recently. Mm -hmm. And he pointed out the basic ultimate difference between medicinal and recreational cannabis. Label? It was a label at the base of the stalk of the plant. It is the same thing, it differs in no way. The way in which you choose to use it changes that title. Mm -hmm. The difference is whether you have the ability to self medicate or whether you've got to pay a doctor. Mm -hmm. And a drug company, well, if you wish to, for that matter. There's oh, anal inserts that might not be as much fun. So that, like, I would say, any anal insert that doesn't get you high wouldn't be recreational, unless you're into that, and that's absolutely. <laughs> well, for, number one, let's stop calling it recreational, okay? Cool. Because the plant is more complex than that, and let's call it adult use. Okay. And as an adult, you can choose to eat the herb raw or juice the herb raw and get maximum therapeutic benefit without intoxication. Therefore, arguably medical, yeah, or certainly nutritional, certainly health-based. We have a friend just across the road with severe neuropathic pain who says that the best uh, pain relief she's ever had is from raw juice cannabis. Okay, no intoxication. She doesn't like getting intoxicated. She doesn't want that. You know, then you have... No, some, just a dejective, yeah, also incredible for IBS, raw juice cannabis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, th that's why they synthesize the acid forms, because they're more therapeutic. So an adult can use cannabis without it being recreational. You know, um, an adult can make their own tinctures, an adult can make their own oils, or an adult can make cookies or smoke a joint or vaporize something and get intoxicated. You know, um, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you know, three in one, one in three, it's a complex plant that can be used in different ways. The thing is, 
are human beings to be allowed to make those choices or not? Well, is there is there a question of can they be allowed or not allowed? Is this choice is, is the only thing that we have as a human that makes us powerful. It's just mm. the power to choose. So if we leave that to other people to you know say, oh, you can do it or you can choose it, you always can't choose it. Medical cannabis is the illusion of choice. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. But the one good thing with medical cannabis, I mean, I'll use California as an example. Medical cannabis has been legal for 10 years. The transition to adult use mm. has been very easy. Mm-hmm. It's been quite fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what happens when you introduce anything from a medical level, that, I can only speak on cannabis half here, but people trust doctors. They'll take a whole raft of absolutely horrendous, dangerous medications with possible terrible side effects. Mm. Then they won't even look at the packet twice because the doctor said it okay. So if a doctor can say that the cannabis is okay and they themselves do realize and do look at a little bit of the literature in terms of its relative low risk of harm, I do believe that it can be a Trojan horse for absolute normalization of cannabis as a whole. And I know, unfortunately, that does take time, mm. like anything, but it is a synergistic way of, of, of normalizing it, I do believe, mm. if we can't learn mm. from overseas. Uh, and I agree with you. I'm just impatient and worried. And I agree with you there. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people suffering in the meantime. Exactly. That's, that's the main exactly. Exactly. And there's a lot of people choosing not to suffer too because they, they can get access to it, but then they're choosing to get the risk of getting like scammed, like I was scammed. Yeah, the worst um, is people that people are genuinely guilty about even trying or using yeah. them. You know, the people I've spoken to, I said, why did you try? Oh, no, mm. God, I couldn't do yeah, that. People who refuse to help themselves. And they literally yeah. don't want to help themselves with it because they're just so opposed to it because of whatever they've heard. Because they're so law-abiding. Correct, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but apart from the fact of the law itself. Mm. There was this beautiful quote um, recently that was shared to me by Camilla. Um, she she sent me this Instagram post that says, the best healer or the true healer is the one that reminds you of your own power to heal. Right. And mm. not takes that power away from you and then congratulates themselves for your healing. Mm. It's it's every individual that heals is not the doctor that heals. He's alright. Mm. Well, maybe, maybe not, or she, or them. Um, they'll be alright. But it's it's us that heal. So there's as long as anyone's saying, look, you're going to heal because I'm saying so, mm. and because of what I'm doing. That's not the doctor doesn't take the pills for you. The doctor no. doesn't take chemo for you. The mm. doctor doesn't go to physio for you. So it's it's us that heal. Ultimately, and yeah. anyone that empowers you to heal, that is a healer. So if a naturopath empowers you to heal, or a green fairy empowers you to heal. Uh, and, or a doctor, or a physiotherapist, or a chiropractor, or your mom, or your mm. your you know your son, or your family. I mean, it's, it's it, yeah, and I, I totally agree with it in terms of yeah, it's, it's no secret that, for example, when you're sick, you would inevitably a lot of people, and I can't even speak statistically here, but you will generally give the advice of eat some vegetables, eat healthy, have some smoothies, have this, boost your system, look after your immune Well, little do we know. The largest receptor system in the human body is the endocannabinoid system. And what is that system responsible for? Looking after all the other receptor systems and systems. It is the system of systems. Like the lubricant, the Correct. the the what are you like the maintenance screw. Absolutely. The, the guys are there for everyone. You know, so we need to supplement that system because we've taken it out of our diet. 
I like Tyxes with him. Um, cannabinoids are the signaling molecules, the messengers of the system. And so if we put more messages in the system, we increase the gain sensitivity of the system. And as we age, says the 45, 46, 46, you know, as we get older, Congratulations. you know, thank you so much. The, the efficiency drops off. So supporting that system with dietary supplements is really important. Correct. On that note, uh, it being uh, able to help for dementia. Makes a lot mm. of sense. Amyloid protein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what uh, Treasury's been saying for um, since 2009, I think, that we face a debt-based future in New Zealand because of the yeah, unaffordable yeah. cost of our chronic health conditions that we're failing to treat. Okay, the model is failing. Time to change the model. The pension paid to self-sufficient doesn't help either, but we'll get to an argument with Winston over that one. <laughs> yes, Winston. Winston. I, I still hope he's an angel. I still hope he's an angel. Yeah, he does uh, act in strange ways. He does act or in strange being ways. being part of the coalition government. But the point I was getting at, sorry, just to round off my previous point, was I have nothing personally against the pharmaceutical medicines as, as a, well, no, that's wrong. I do have I do have a problem as a model with multiple But in terms of if people wish to take pharmaceutical medications, they do have their benefits. There is no two ways about it. There are mm. clinical studies to prove that there are trials. They do work. We're, yeah. the, we're not against it. We're no, just we're not saying, it. No. please let us put this tool mm. of relatively no harm in the mm. toolbox to assist us like we would with vegetables. And let else. our farmers compete. Absolutely. Let because our farmers compete. Farmers Imagine farmers. if you can grow one crop that will get you, like, again, the food fiber and health. Mm. Then, like, first, you can tend to your own food fiber and health. And so no one would have to worry about food fiber and health safety if they, if they were able to all grow hemp in, in any any shape or form with cannabis sativa or cannabis, you know, as a plant. Mm. If you can grow it your own, you can provide that for yourself. Not as a like, not like you're growing your own drugs, it's that you're growing your own sustainability. I've been, this is the problem though with the modern world. I've been thinking about this for the last few days. We live in the developed world. What does that mean? Okay, I think that the developed world is a corporatized world, and a corporatized world is based upon consumers. Yeah, not self-sufficient individuals. Is based on the smiles or frowns of shareholders. There's no two ways about that. That <laughs> is correct. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm centre right myself, but I, I certainly agree, and I'm seeing it more and more on a daily basis. And it, and it does concern me that when something like the pharmaceutical industry is purely the performance is not based on how many it heals or cures or how many it harms. It's based on the bottom line, the bottom line, the bottom line, and the increase in profits, the percentage of profits, and that is that is concerning from a from a health perspective. That, that does terrify me personally. So it, pro it produces very helpful tools. It does, but it's controlled by people that don't want to help. They want to help their investment, cool. which I think anybody does. And Just like a bank, correct? Because yeah. a bank can give you the resources to to you know, finance your own farm. But then it can make you be encrippled by that. Correct. So and it all depends on, on on what the bankers want and the people that are investing through the banks and in the banks. Mm -hmm. And that's you know. Yeah. Right this is a very disruptive crop. It's a very disruptive product, and it's difficult to disrupt markets, especially when they're you know entrenched and solid. Um, and and even more especially, 
when it's a stigmatized subject about which people actually know very, very little. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the information is there. I mean, it's hard to get, really. If you don't know what you're looking for, it's hard to get. You can get a general idea, and then you can then you can get then like more specific information if you look, you know, far mm. enough. Uh, so for starters, I this is the way I started getting informed, and I don't think it's the, the last word, and I think mm. it's completely um, flawless. But Leafly.com is mm. a, in, an incredible tool for mm. just finding the basics mm. about what cannabis is, mm. like actual is physically uh, for adult use, medicinally. Mm. And even see because they have all of these reviews and mm. feedback from the community. Yes, it's all right. it's, yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. the general public aren't looking for it. The general public are waiting for leaders. Yeah. They're waiting for leaders from from the establishment. Well, a leader yeah. is also the one that reminds you that you have to lead yourself, mm. right? Because and that's what all three of us are doing in our own way. Exactly. And so this information, what I'm trying to achieve here, and us in the R of Wolf are trying to achieve is to bring in like conversations open up conversations and and, and and you know increase curiosity and and, and you know, increase that notion that you also have a responsibility for your education and it's a it's a wonderful thing because mm -hmm. then you can learn about what you want and not what the people tell you you should learn well we live in a world where people have less time to think less time to be less time to organize and where the demands of life you know make it challenging for people to do that it's not yeah. sustainable. Thinking, thinking is a luxury. The way we use, like, talk about fossil fuels. If you see fossil fuels as, as a source of energy, and the way we mine it, distribute it, and use it, we use our own energy in the same way. So there's these um, countries in Europe that work four days a week and, and have three days weekends. I think that's you know it's good, but we could go further than that, especially if you want to be sustainable in the sense of the word that you are going to be economically um, conscious, environmentally conscious, and socially conscious. And if you include yourself in that society, in that economy, in that environment, you're also being self-conscious, right? So we know that what we need is to spend more time with our families and communities. Mm -hmm. And what we want is more time to find out what the true meaning of our life is so we can be happy and share that joy and that experience with others. We also know that we have to stop destroying the environment mm -hmm. because it's just, just cutting down trees. That's what sustains it. Like, there's no artificial environment that we can create. And if it is, it's going to be charged for, and only a few people are going to be able to afford it. So if, if you if you don't go, if we don't go to sustainability, we're, we're going to end up buying that sustainability, buying that uh, ability to be alive from other people. So We don't want sustainability to turn into a commodity. Yeah. So if we just de-escalate all of this consumerism, and I'm not saying you can buy stuff, you can buy stuff, but make it have a purpose, make it, you know, fulfill a role in your in your heart, not because there's a very attractive and, and distract, distracting ad on online or on TV or on the bus that is telling you you should buy it, or, or because there's this uh, morality around this uh, object that you want to acquire, or because there's this hype or this fashion, no, it's just big because it's going to improve your life, right? So a sustainable principle is that you should at least find two uses for one thing. That makes cannabis very sustainable. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. plastic bags for carrying your shopping and picking up dog poo, two uses, not sustainable, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's true. 
So I often try and convince Ty just to bury it on the beach when we go for a walk. <laughs> you make and it sound like a couple of <laughs> before we start talking about his dog. <laughs> yeah. Charm, sir, charm, Well, I, I was I was coming to Auckland with with my friend. He went down to visit us in Gisborne, stayed with for a week, and I was coming back, and he was driving. I told him, "No, let me drive now." So I had time to just space out for the window and look at all the land that's out there that's being occupied by one cow, by mm. one like a little number of sheep, uh, or just sitting there doing nothing, and all of these agglomeration of people that we have. Like I mean, New Zealand doesn't have that much that kind of population density, that, that, no, that big no, density. So it would be even easier to do it here. We've got room if, for a lot of him. If we start, absolutely. If we start bringing the population out of the city, because cities are as sustainable as they can get, they're still having a huge impact in, in the way we pollute. Uh, and we start creating these small communities. Maybe with, like with hemp will be a great tool to achieve that because you can get a lot of the community's needs from that. But I'm going more into what the way Tengata Fenua uh, relate with the land and as a stewards of the land we can all be taking care of a piece of land as a community so let's say you have 50 people in your community and you're you have you know multidisciplinary teams getting in there like you got you know people that can build people that can grow mm. people that can take care of other people yes. people that can teach and whatever needs the, the community will have and then you go and then you plant this forest and you can plant a food forest and it will provide fruit and, and herbs and all sorts of, you know, products that you actually need to be alive and to sustain yourself. Mm. And they will do it for free and all that the community would have to do would be take care of the forest mm. like it used to be because we used to be. So I was, there was this comment because I'm trying to become vegetarian and kind of failing some days um in the you're on a human yeah um so my my wife's boss told her well how come your husband calls himself wolf and he wants to be vegetarian <laughs> well it turns out wolves are also the ones that protect the forest they are the apex predator in the in the boreal you know kind of ecosystem so if you have a healthy forest you have a lot of wolves so if you consider that humans are the apex predator on Earth because of the way we've used our mind and hands to mm. become that, um, we should be taking care of our force. Mm. Too. And, and that should be like the purpose of our lives. And if we can make uh, you know, bustling and beautiful communities around that, that's even greater because that connection is also this, the strength that has given us the position of apex predator. A single human can do nothing against the wolf. But, you know, give five humans a bunch of bow and arrows and, and you're right. <laughs> um, so, building those sustainable communities, building with hemp, building them together, and taking people away from cities that pitch people against each other. This, so, the, the biggest pockets of racism, some, well, sometimes in the rural areas too, but uh, the biggest pockets of confrontation are inside cities. And, like, mm -hmm. you can see mm -hmm. that in all the process protests that are going on in, in Latin America at the moment mm. and everywhere else in the world. Um, but 
cities cannot be farmed for, the cities cannot be provided water for so easily because it's 1.5 million people, 1.7 in the general area of Auckland. But if you go with 100, 200 people to a plot of land that we have available, maybe it's in the wrong person's hand, uh, and then you just let them do their, their own thing, we can even use the, the materials that we have in the city and make them available to build little communities. And that way we'll be having a circular economy that tends to itself, no need for petrol, no need for anything. It'd be an interesting case study to do for a year if you can find some mm -hmm. volunteers still. Yeah, be, uh, sounds a bit like kibbutzim. Yeah, and we have the internet to provide support to, like a community wouldn't be isolated or pitched against another one because if, if you're sharing like IP and technology and methods and just the key thing to start with, I think, is enabling an industry, uh, creating infrastructure, regional infrastructure. We have a provisional, um, a regional growth fund for that. Yeah. We have a billion trees target. Yeah. So um, setting up infrastructure in the regions, funding either for farmers or else. I do. I think this is hemp is made for public-private partnerships. Made for. And it's it's it's. Part of that just transition. That's exactly that exactly. Right now. Part of it. And everybody's pitching in like, oh, farmers should do more, and you know, people in cities should do more. You know, and farmers should. Do. Yeah. And it's it's not necessarily their fault, but more the fault of restriction. But it's the same as doctors. Take hemp, right? Mm. What does it love the most? Nitrogen. Oh, right. Riparian planting. Right. What do we got with the problems with nitrogen now? Nitrates now waterways should be a cycle crop for dairy farming. Should mm. sit by the waterways. Be one yeah. of the best things we could do. Which is where hemp, you know, really likes to to grow. You know, on the on the banks and stuff. It'll leave a contaminated so site. Thing we're doing a lot of uh, repairing planting in Gisborne because we need to repair our waterways. It's it's just there. Like we have pollution in our rivers that we shouldn't. Mm. So uh, it doesn't need to stay there for good, but it can be used for what it's good for. Which we can because we're we're planting natives, right? And we're planting bush around the the riverbanks. If you just put a, a, a bit of hemp in there, like it's just. Right there next to Harakiki, it's, it's, it's so it would be so useful if we had Harakiki all along the rivers with him because we have two different types of fiber, mm -hmm. two different types of food if you if you eat flaxseed, you know. So, not to mention as for an example, it's very efficient as a plant, produces four times more oxygen, consumes four times more CO two, and uses less water than let's say the average acre of pine forest, yeah. and, and then four then, times as much yield. Four times as much pulp within what are we talking? Four months rather than twenty-five years. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. kind of it seems like a no-brainer. So hopefully New Zealand first are just playing with us <laughs> with yeah. the pinus radiata obsession. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as a student of horticulture, I would like if, if that's the case, if, if they're obsessed with pinus radiata, let me tell you something. It doesn't work. A monocultive doesn't work. A monocultive model is what's killing um, Gisborne's soil and New Zealand's soil right now because a, a crop that stands by itself, it's a weak crop. So if you, if you study horticulture, if you study botany, if you study permaculture and, and sustainable principles, you know that there is a, a symbiosis going on within all of the plants in an ecosystem and that's why bush forest is so valuable because of all of those interactions and inter interdependencies so you also know that plants are not only associated with each other but they associate with fungi 
and bacteria and microorganisms in the soil to bring fertility and even catch carbon on the soil. So humus catches carbon. Mm. Is is made of carbon. And the, so the reason that trees grow so big is because there's carbon in the soil that they're absorbing from right. other trees that are dying and, and all of that decomposition system. But in a in a pine forest that is made only for the purpose of harvesting and sending it overseas. Not, it's mm. not even tending to local needs. So New Zealanders mm. don't need pine. It's our partners abroad that need the pine. And we have to start wondering if we are going to tend to their needs or to the needs of the population that is facing a crisis with climate change. So we are a colony. <laughs> yeah, we had colonies too. There's a big and a huge call for decolonization right now, and we it's need right. to listen to that. And I'm not saying listen to that because I believe in that. Um, I'm saying that, I mean, we are, all of us are mining the planet for the profit of the people that owns the colonies, right? And not only that, we're also colonized ourselves. So the way that we spend all of our energy to sustain a system that is failing everyone is being colonized. So we have to decolonize our minds, our lives, our families, you know, our, our social circles, and our communities and government. So if we want to keep that government. Yeah, and disrupting industry is a good way to start that, yeah. disrupting the industries. In, in the Middle Ages, in medieval um, France, in the 1400s, people complained about the influence of corporations on public and private life. You roll forward 600 years to where corporations are now more powerful and wealthier than countries. Mm -hmm. well, individuals even. Oh, indeed, 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 indeed. Um, yeah, there's, um, we need to change the system, unfortunately, and that's a big job. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any secret that the, I like to get a term, the hoarding of money at another level, that was only really being used for excessive acquisitions, is helping anybody apart from that person itself. No. Um, I don't want to tell them whether they're right or wrong, but looking at it from a third person's perspective, it's not, it's not really helping many people yet. It's harming. It's harming. More than helping. Yeah. Um, but look, I, I see this, and this is, you know, anarchist hat. Uh, money is only the fence that surrounds resources. Mm. So, it, I don't know if you've seen that um, mockumentary, which is actually just based on real fact. Um, the Laundromat on Netflix. Oh no! It is very important um, for this conversation specifically. Um, it's it's funny, but in a dark way. Uh, but it also it, it addresses Panama's papers, right? So they say that money is just a, a tool that was developed to make trade easier, you know, to to understand, mm. to to make you know to swap, to yeah. to play on even terms. So that's pretty ironic. Mm. Um, but if you start only associating the value of things as to the monetary value and not as a resource, then we've missed the point entirely. We've gone past that point of, oh yeah, this is just a, a token. That means that I have, you know, I'm entitled to this much resources uh, because I, I'm, I'm carrying it, mm -hmm. right? And now it's become the fence that surrounds the resources because the people that own the most tokens 
are the ones that have the yeah, own the resources. The resources. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all good because that's what we, you know, chose to do for the, the, the past millennium or two. But nowadays, that we need those resources to save our our species mm-hmm. and our children in our. If you want to save the economy, go for it. But uh, <laughs> it, it's never gonna stock market. Yeah, yeah. It's never gonna keep growing sustainably because it's you know the only thing that grows sustainably is a forest. Um, left alone. <laughs> yeah, left alone. Well, we can help you. You can help the forest to to grow, but you know, and then occasional cannabis crop doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. But um, the 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 fantasy of an inf- infinite growth. An economy doesn't work because we have a finite planet. Mm. There's just no question that we can't do that. Mm. So if you want to keep going, like banging your head against that wall, go for it. If you want to keep telling the lie that that's possible to fill your pockets with money, that's all right. But what we need, what every individual needs, is food, roof, and and you know wellness and, and community. There's one good meaning favors with most people, yeah. but one of the major issues, of course. That's correlated with the data is, is population control. We, we, like you say, we have a finite resource. We can't just keep increasing the population. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Oh, there's a population correction coming. Mm, yeah, yeah, within New Zealand, it's minor on oh, scale. No, globally, globally. We were talking about the fact that a lot of people won't be able to stay alive because... I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so there's water, water, food, war, and economic collapse. Bill on the horizon. That would probably be ideal if we could avoid a population control in that way. Yeah, you'd be super. But yeah, <laughs> big supporter of not doing change in that way. Yeah. So we don't want disaster to determine the way we live. Yeah, but uh, when you look at as a historian, okay, live, as course, a historian, we, we, we are living now in a time which is very uh, similar to the pre-World War One, and also has correlations to the, 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 the pre-World War Two period. Um, we have rising powers, we have falling powers, we have an economic, a gilded age, you know, uh, an, an economic system that's that's serving a very small minority, and in doing so, underwhelming the sustainability of the system itself. So, you know, societies collapse frequently. Um, in history, the the collapse and extinction of societies is common. Um, there's uh, a book by uh, Jared Diamond on the subject called Collapse, uh, A Short History of um, Progress by Reginald Wright is, is a much pithier, uh, more enjoyable read on the same thing. The more complex a society, uh, the more catastrophic the, compl- the, the collapse. And our society is incredibly complex at this point in time, and it's not being run on any sustainable fundamentals at all. It's unconsumed. Mm. And, and, and get and use and, and drop. Mm. So how ironic that China's you know a world leader in, in, in sort of sustainable progress towards in their economy. You know the authoritarian state. Mm-hmm. Well, because if if you take the will or the, the power of choice from people, then you can do whatever the one you want to do. And it's the same as, as the the one percent control the rest of the world. It's just it's not so obvious, right? Mm. Uh, and I actually think that. I, I like to think that the Chinese are trying to break the system in their own way, but there's ways of going about it. You know, you can go with hemp and then peas and, and love. And they're growing over a million acres and they're chasing five million hectares, I think. They should. 
because you know what, like the 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 original Chinese Empire, if I'm not wrong, was built on hemp too. That is correct. So the only unfortunate thing is, of course, with hemp from China at the moment is it tends to be reasonably contaminated, um, heavy metals and things like that. Our quality control is, is not necessarily their um, forte at this point in time, but without a question of a doubt, China is um, leading the way in terms of mass. So well, I I I have to say. It, it makes more sense to you because I've, I've, I've been aligning a lot with Extinction Rebellion, so that's where I'm coming from for uh, a call for system change. But I've also been an anarchist since I was a teenager, and I, I, I just think for myself and act for myself, and I'm responsible for my own shit, right? So that's why I've, I've seen it work. I've seen it work because every time someone around me does that, they they progress, they move forward, they, they let go of the the chains and the shame and the guilt that the system has put in them. And we can stop talking about the system in society if we just go back to our community and look that that is what society is and that is what the system is, is just literal interaction between human beings and the paper that we put into that, that put it into law and, and created this complex system that's bound to collapse. But communities don't collapse because the people that survive the system collapse. They're all building back in their communities there. So if we just bring it back to that, stop making it complex because complex collapses, simple, you know, thrives. You can't stop making things complex. What you can do is you can make them sustainable. But sustainable is simple. You just let it grow. I mean, sustainable is emulating nature, and that's not hard. We've been doing it for ages. Nature is very complex. No, 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 no. I, yeah, absolutely. It's complex. But at the same time, it follows a few principles that, that are not... I mean, you can make complex simple. And so human interaction is absolutely complex, especially if, if we're all in different kind of states of consciousness. And that's one of the conversations around, uh, around drug use but in um, mental health. But, and it's incredibly complex, but you can simplify it to what we're doing right now. We're having a human interaction, and this is all that there is. Everything else, if you put bureaucracy in the, in the, in the middle, you can still, you're, you're going to still have to deal with a human. Well, there's a lot of, you know, um, automatization going on with that, and using AI for that, and automatic response and all of that. But there's still a human behind all of that. And there's like politicians, even if I don't think that they're doing anything useful, they're humans. Pol policemen, even if I know that they're a tool for oppression, they're humans. You know, the top 1%, even if I know that they're doing things for the wrong reasons because of greed and, and fear and shame and guilt and all of those things, they're humans. So if we bring it back down to the human interaction like we are right now, like we've gotten along so well because I'm not here as an interviewer and you're not here as an educator and you're not here as a CEO, no. we're just here, so it works. It does. Especially when we're not afraid, so stop listening to the fear, maybe be mindful and aware of what we do. Stop listening to the guilt and the shame and the lies and, the, and stop focusing and fixating on grief and pain and we can just all go through those illusions that we, you know, built, and reach that you know really necessary unity that will bring us forward as 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 a 
as a species and as, as what we should be those caretakers of earth because we're the apex predator here there's nothing above us and that's it should be a humbling statement we're the ones that control how things go here the wise ape yeah not done so well though have we <laughs> we've learned to drive <laughs> 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 and with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. And it can be a lot of fun too. I have to Yeah, go. let's go. Uh, do you have any closing statements? Um, I just did mine and it took a lot. It was a rant more like this, right? So take that rant away no, from it. No, we, 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 uh, we live in interesting times and it's important that we stop being consumers and start being citizens again. And that means, you know, uh, not waiting for leadership, but, you know, all being leaders in our way and trying to collaborate and seek the win-wins where we can. That's all I have. I I'm going to bring it back to cannabis. Boyakasha! <laughs> Just normalize it. Normalize it every day. Bring it up in conversation. Talk about it like it's... I was going to say water, but people probably talk more about beer or alcohol, but we don't mm. want that comparison either. But just, mm. just normalize it. Um, if, you, if you don't know, you want to know, reach out, ask. Just please don't spread reefer madness. That's all I beg of you. See it for what it is. Exactly. If you, if you have it in your pocket, you know what it is. Yeah, exactly. And if anyone has it, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a plant. And you know, as Lord Rutherford said, we don't have money. So we have to think. So the world has problems, and we all know, by and large, what they're caused by. Um, and this sustainable, remarkable resource offers answers to some major problems that we face. The only real crime you can commit around cannabis is knowing that it has the power to help so many, but not doing anything about it. Yeah. I mean... And also, if you're criminalizing people for using, growing, or commercializing cannabis, then you're committing a crime. Because, like, like we have to take it back to the people that have been in jail. Correct. For people that have, you know, been through heartbreak and, and family years. It drives me insane that this has done so much harm to our people, to our economy, to our environment, and cost us all so much opportunity and the human suffering that has gone unaided. It, uh, it, change cannot come quickly. I'm an, I'm an asylum seeker in this country because of the war drugs. Hmm. So that's where I'm coming from. Too. Yeah. It just doesn't, like, I've been, like, here we got 60%, no, what was it? How, how much higher is the Maori arrest rate for cannabis? Four. Four times. Yeah. Four times. So a Maori is, uh, or, or a person of, of ethnicized, mm. you know, an eth ethnicized person will be uh, four times more likely to be arrested for that. That is the consequence in New Zealand in, you know, heartbreak, family break, uh, you know, economical grim future. That's awful. In my country, we're getting killed because of this backward thinking. Mm. Because there's, there's a belief in people's head that you can ban something and then people will stop doing it. And then if they don't do it, you should kick them in the head. 
and if that doesn't work, you kill them, their families. So that is not how it works. It doesn't work. Like fear doesn't work in humans. You know. It does and for some. It does for a lot. When the yeah. That's well, why they use it. You know, it drives them insane. Like, like when you see Joker, you'll you'll understand. I'm Fear drives. It just drives people insane. It drives people to be violent. There's you know cause and reaction. And it, 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 there's things always balance themselves out. So the only thing stopping you from killing someone else is that you're gonna get bashed in the head and killed mm -hmm. yourself. Then that violent response is gonna get responded with by violence and mm -hmm. then. If we stop it, if we start enforcing that with the war on drugs specifically, the people are gonna use more drugs because it's you know it's cool to rebel, and and the violent response is gonna be met, met with even bigger violence, and that's what's happened in Colombia, in Guatemala, in every country in Mexico right now. It's just crazy. So let's just do do ourselves a favor and, and everybody in, in our you know Latin American countries and, and marginalized countries and develop, you know, developing countries, as, as people call them. Um, let's, let's do them all a favor and stop banning these substances that are doing more harm because of the ways we abuse them outside of these countries and not because of the way we could use them for our benefit. So just give up on war on drugs. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. all, right. all right. Thank you. We did it. Thank you all for being here. It was awesome to be here with you. And we'll, we'll do this again. We'll definitely do this again. Absolutely. Please. All right. So that was the end of the conversation. Uh, it was a great time. It was a great opportunity for me to meet these amazing two new people that I've never seen in my life. And to be honest, I, I followed Tyke's kind of activities for, for a while because he's very visualized like i don't know he he just got my attention pretty early on last year and courtney i've always seen him posting stuff here and there and, and but i i never knew that he was uh a part of a cannabis company here in new zealand and, and meeting him and seeing the kind of person he is i'm really glad he is so just to summarize a few points here and there um the the real use and the real reasons for legalizing cannabis i think we touched on and a very strong few of them um the reality of the plant is that you can use it for whatever you choose and there is a lot of good things to from you to choose from you know like you can you can make anything out of it you can make paper clothes houses food out of it you can make medicine out of it there's a lot of possible uses and a lot of them we even we haven't even thought of um a lot of them are under research and under development at the moment and Aotearoa New Zealand could really benefit from using this plant integrating this plant into our society once again because it was already here and it was already used and it was used for the benefit of the, of the country, for the benefit of the people, for the benefit of the land. So it was such an inspiring talk and I hope you you really, really got something out of it because I, I surely did. Um, I'd like to take the opportunity to remind you about the voice messages that you can send um, to participate on the conversation and also, also 
about our Patreon page where you can um, you know, collaborate more directly by giving donations. We still haven't uh, set up the reward system there, but you can check it out if you want. Um, the information is on the main page of our podcast. And I hope you have a lovely day, a lovely afternoon, a lovely night, whatever time of the day you're listening to this podcast. It's Friday, so enjoy it. And, you know, go back to the fauna safe. <laughs>